and I want you to read the whole book, okay? Even the hard stuff, even the stuff you don't understand. Press through it, read it, and let God speak to you this week through his word. Can you do that? I think so. Everybody's shaking their head yes. Okay, good, good. Well, good morning, and I am going to be speaking this morning, and we are still on the uh, series, Life on Mission. Now, last week, Aaron challenged everyone to write their own personal testimony, our story, and how Jesus had become a part of our lives and how we had joined with him. Did everybody do that? Everybody got that done? Good. The microphone is going to be coming around and we're all going to share because I don't have a sermon this morning. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Life on mission. Life on mission. What is that about? You know, it's a, it, actually, this book by Tim Harlow is kind of what we've been working through. If you haven't read this book, I encourage you to read it. Matter of fact, I know Aaron's got a copy because I'm going to give this one back to him. I found mine. It was sitting on my desk. But I'm going to give, Crystal's laughing, she knows what my desk looks like. But yes, if you have a chance, read this, read this book. So, let's begin with John chapter 1, verses 35 through 46 this morning. And it begins with verse 35. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? Wow, isn't that a powerful question? What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and we'll see. So they came and they saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. For it was about the 10th hour. It was about 3, between 3 and 4 in the afternoon. They would have stayed with him till about nightfall. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Look, he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Verse 43, The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and all the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Jesus, I mean the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Let's pray. Father God, Father, as we look into your holy word today, Father, we pray that you speak to us. And even so, more so, Father, as we read your holy word this week, uh, Romans chapter 1 and Revelations, Father, we pray that you will speak to us about these times, about the events that are going on. 
Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit will illuminate Scripture to us, that our minds will be opened, our eyes will see, our spiritual eyes will see. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, like I said, Aaron has referenced this book from Tim Harlow several times, and I will too today. So none of what we're saying, I just want to make a disclaimer because I don't want to see it on Facebook that I plagiarized anything. I know a lot of that's been going on lately. But I don't want, you know, I just let you know, a lot of what I say is based on this book. So, a group of us went to Savannah uh, from Chester Christian Church earlier this year, and Tim Harlow was a speaker there. And we got to hear his story. He told it to us. Not us alone, but probably, I reckon, a thousand other people. Tim Arlow is an average man. He's an average pastor. He began preaching in 1990 in Chicago, Chicago, at a church of about 150 people. And it was in a very unchurched area of Chicago. But when Tim looked into God's Word, the Bible, he saw how the church, not the church building, the church, the individuals, how the individuals were supposed to share Jesus and the gospel. He saw a mission with five actions that became the Chicago church's mission agenda. The first was connect. Aaron spoke about that. Like Jesus, we should hang out with people. We should connect with them. Serve was the second one. Service was crucial to Jesus' ministry, and it should be to ours also, correct? And then share was last week, sharing your own experience. Share your story, our story. Today is grow, discipleship, and then next week will be prayer. Today we're going to examine what Harlow uh, writes about Christian growth, and I'll add a few things in with that. Let me ask you a question. What do you think of when you hear the word grow? Anybody? Grow? Grow? I can't hear you back there. <laughs> last night, Crystal said multiply. I preached this sermon to her last night in here, so she, <laughs> she was the only one I could hear. <laughs> multiply. But when we think about grow, don't we think about gardens? Grass. I, I mean, my grass grows something this, this year. I mean, I've had to cut it every week. You know, we think about children. We think about grandchildren, don't we? They grow. But what do you think of when you hear the words Christian growth? Christian growth. It's not something that we talk about very much, is it? But we as Christians are supposed to grow. There are four things about Christian growth that I learned from reading this book and listening to Tim Harlow in Savannah earlier this year. So this is going to be a four-point sermon, not a three-point. The first point is that we have to become disciples. Disciples. Jesus did not make converts. Believe me, Jesus had no converts. He made disciples. And what is a disciple? Well, when we look at the passage in John 1, 35 through 46, we see what a disciple is, don't we? You know, a disciple is in verse 35 and 37, we see that John, the Baptist, points his own disciples to Jesus and they follow him. They are not converts, they are disciples. But what is a disciple? 
The dictionary says a disciple is a person who is a convinced adherent of a school or individual. It's a lot, isn't it? A person who is a convinced adherent of a school or individual. I like this one better, though. The committed pupil of a teacher. You have to understand the importance of the relationship of the Jewish rabbi, Jesus, and his disciples. The disciple agreed not only to be taught by the rabbi, but to be led in life by the rabbi. These guys did not realize it, but they were going on a three-year journey. They were going on a journey with Jesus that was going to change their lives. You know, when we look at the passage, we see that John even knew the very hour that he spent with Jesus. He knew the time of the day. He knew exactly, he remembered exactly what it was like. I remember the day I was baptized. I think the baptistry had ice cubes in it. It was in October, it was strange, it was in October and the building had no heat on. And this was the days before he did baptistry. I think I had uh, hypothermia before we got out. But now, when we, look at, when we look at our scripture again, verse 40, Andrew shows that the first act of a good disciple is to bring another disciple to the teacher. You know, we don't have to be all Christianese, do we? I mean, we don't have to have all the Christian knowledge. We don't have to have all the Christian language. We don't have to have all of those things to bring somebody to Jesus. Matter of fact, these guys didn't really even know who Jesus was. You know, they met him, you know, they went to his house between 3 and 4, and they would have left before sundown, and then they're bringing people to, to him. In just a few hours, they became uh, disciples who were bringing other disciples to Christ. Verse 44 and 45, we see that Philip also knows what the first act of a disciple is. He, like Andrew, goes and brings another disciple to the teacher. You know, sometimes when we share our story, it begins with what we have found, Jesus. As disciples, we have to be committed to a life that makes us more like Jesus. You know, for three years now, these men followed and learned from Jesus. They didn't realize it at the time, but they did later. Spiritual growth, listen, listen to this, spiritual growth is not about memorizing Bible verses or debating theology. The result of spiritual growth, of Christian growth, is becoming more like Jesus. It is not about a book of rules, but about a book that changes us from the inside out. Not Tim Harlow's book, God's Word, the Bible. As we spend more time in God's word, we become more like Jesus. As individuals, we have to be disciples that become more like Christ. Now, point number two. The second point is that we have to grow together as we grow in Christ. Let me say that again. We have to grow together as we grow in Christ. You know, there's this word in the Greek. And it's used in the New Testament. It's called koinonia. That's the, the word, koinonia. For the most part, we translate it as fellowship. But it has a much deeper meaning. 
Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Acts 2, 42. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. The definition of koinonia follows in verse 44 and 47. See, Luke gives us an explanation of what that fellowship word means, koinonia. He says, starting with verse 44, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, eating meals, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. You see, the definition of koinonia is much deeper than a fellowship dinner. But I think we in the church have made it a fellowship dinner. It really means actually sharing life together. Sharing needs, sharing possessions. You know, my granddaughters, they know that sharing is caring. They hear that from their mothers. Sharing is caring. So when Bella and Mallory are standing there and one has something that the other one wants, they'll look at the other one and say, sharing is caring. And then they hold their hand out. And then the other one waits a minute, sharing is caring, gets it right back. But isn't it true? Sharing is caring. You know, they don't always put it into action. But we as individuals in the church, we have to put it into action. Koinonia has to be part of our Christian life. You know, at Chester Christian Church, we share life together in our small groups. There's no way that everybody in this room that will come into this room today will know everybody else before they leave. That's why we have small groups. Groups that come together, that meet together to share life. You know, sharing means to be real. It has to be real. You can't be shallow. I'm going to tell you, if you get a group of shallow Christians together, usually what happens? A fellowship dinner, isn't it? That's, a, that's really what happens, a fellowship dinner. But when you get a group of people together that are sharing and they are real about it, you get a relationship with each other. And you know what that relationship, as you grow together and you grow in Christ, lives are changed, aren't they? Lives are changed. You get through things that you never thought you could have got through. You're able to do things in life that you never thought you would be able to. You know, you have to be real. It needs to be, it needs to be something that is meeting needs. It needs to be something where it's a safe environment. A safe environment means that I don't share something with you and then you go share it with the rest of the church. A safe environment means it stays within our group. We work together through this problem. If we have to draw more people in, we will. But it starts with our group. If you're not part of a small group, you are missing out on an important part of becoming more like Jesus. You know, Jesus had disciples, didn't he? He had a big group of disciples. They followed him around. He had a smaller group of disciples. 
And then he had the inner circle, which was even a smaller group. Jesus modeled small groups for us. Now, point number three. If this was a three-point sermon, we'd be almost done. But it's not. The third point is we have to train if we are going to grow. Now, this is important. We have to train if we are going, going to grow. And let me give you the thought behind this. Paul writes about the Christian life being a race that we run, doesn't he? 1 Corinthians 9.24, he says, do you, know, do you not know that a race in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Now, that doesn't mean only one person is getting into heaven, okay? That's not what Paul's saying. He's saying you have to look at life as a race. You have to look at it as a journey. So then, Hebrews 12, 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings to us closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You know, Christian life is not a sprint. It's not. You just don't get it. It's not just a short period of time, is it? At least we hope not. We hope you don't, you know... We hope that you have time to grow in Christ, to lead others to Christ. It's more like a marathon, isn't it? You know, I never knew what a marathon really was and the training involved until I met this guy named Wade. Now, Wade is a marathon runner. I've known Wade for almost 10 years. We work together. As long as I have known him, he has been a marathon runner. He qualified for the Boston Marathon three times and actually ran it twice. Now, Wade is not one of those people that has a chance to win the marathon, but he still runs. Through Wade and his running experience, I think I have a better understanding of the Christian life that Paul was talking about. You see, when Wade first decided to run a marathon, he was out of shape. I didn't know him at that time, but he said he weighed 260 pounds. He was overweight and had been diagnosed with MS. That first race, he said he walked more than he ran. But after his first race, he knew that he wanted to run again. His first race is how we are as a new Christian. You know, we're eager to do it, just not sure how to do it. So he joined a training team. This is Koinonia. Joining a training team is like what we should do at church. We should join a small group. The sharing of the experience is what he enjoyed. His coaches taught him and encouraged him. They stayed with him even when he was running below their capabilities. When he could barely run, they were right there beside him. When he was in pain or discouraged, they were there with tips and encouragement. He became successful enough to qualify for the Boston Marathon three times. This is quite an accomplishment for a middle-aged man with MS. But you know what? He runs even more now than he used to. He does not run to qualify for Boston. He now runs for the koinonia, the fellowship of sharing the experience. He runs to be with others on the training team, both old members and new members of the team. You see, now he runs as a coach. He encourages others. He trains others. 
You know, he was telling me this past week of an experience where he stayed with the last person throughout the entire race. He stayed with the last runner until they, they came to the finish line. He did what it took to make sure that that person made it to the end of the race. That is how we should be as Christians, a community of people training together to be more like Christ, studying God's Word together, a group of people committed to see that we all finish the race together. Now, fourth point. The fourth point is we have to trust God. I know we all say that, don't we? We trust God, don't we? We say we do. But sometimes it's hard. We have to trust God and, and we have to believe what he says in his word. We have to trust that he has the best plans for our lives. You know, Jeremiah 29, 11 says, and a lot of people can quote it, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, and to give you a future and a hope. You know, 1 Corinthians 1.9 says God is faithful. You know, we have to trust that he is faithful. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. It's by God that we're called into the fellowship of Jesus Christ. You know, God has a plan. He is the one that is faithful, and he is the one that is calling out to others to be disciples of Jesus. But we, we, all of us, have to be ready and available to be used by him. We have to be ready. You know, I always say, God could, God could let angels come and give the gospel message, couldn't he? He could. But he chose to give us, us that task. Us the task of sharing the gospel. We have to be willing to become the coaches in a marathon race. Trusting in God can be a very scary thing. You know, we were coming back from Savannah after listening to Tim Harlow and other speakers at Savannah Christian Church, and I was praying about who should I, who should I be reaching out to? Who is that one person, one person that I should be reaching out to? And I really felt strongly that it was an individual that I worked with, someone that I've known for years and interacted with daily. But see, this kind of troubled me because this person was the complete opposite of me. His language and actions were the opposite of mine. Our co-workers joked that we were like Forrest and Jenny, like peas and carrots. We heard it all the time. We were a team of two opposites. So I prayed. I asked God. I said, if that is the person, God, that you want me to reach, then show me a sign. We were going down the highway, and I looked up. The sign said, next exit, two miles, wave. <laughs> I was like, next prayer was, really God, big question mark, you know? <laughs> and it was, really God? Really? Show me another sign. <laughs> I looked up. Next sign was Wade, one mile. So I went home, got home, prayed that weekend. I was like, okay, 
Okay, God. So I went to work. It was Monday morning, and Monday mornings are just a grind. We, we go through several things. But it was a normal day until I walked into Wade's office. And he said he had a question. Now, this is a common interaction between the two of us. Usually it's a question about work. Usually it's a question about something that has happened or something like that. And he looked at me and he says, I have a question. It's about this church thing. Communion, what exactly is it? I was like, oh, wow. God had already been at work. God had already put his plan in the action. All he needed me to do was to be on board with it, me to be ready. That has been crazy. You know, we will sit and we will talk in his office, and he calls it his seminary training. He, he says, all that education you have, now come in here and sit down and give me some of it. But he says, it's his seminary training. And he will ask me questions. We have talked about things about faith. We have talked about things about the church, the history of the church. We have talked about things about Christ. And you know what? Faithfully, Faithfully, I continue to do that because I know one day, one day, God's plan is going to come full circle. God's plan is going to be fully realized in his life. I just have to continue to be a part of it. As disciples, we have to trust in God and be open to what he wants us to do for us truly to grow. Now, I tell you, I've spent years in prison sharing Christ with, with young men, incarcerated young men. But to sit in the office with someone that I have known for 10 years is a completely different experience than talk about Christ. Okay, now we're to the conclusion. You know, the question I, that I think we really have to ask about Tim Harlow in his book is, why should we look at ministry the way that Tim Harlow does and the people that he pastors in Chicago do? You see, Harlow's church is still in Chicago. It's still in the bad part of town. Drug addicts have OD'd in the bathroom. Alcoholics show up for the church service. Harlow is still an average man, an average pastor, but the church in Chicago has been used by God to baptize 6,000 people. A church of 150 has been used by God to baptize 6,000 people. And it has over 8,000 people that attend its eight weekend services. We should look at Harlow's ministry because in its in in a ministry that being used by God to reach others that are farthest from God, we find things that we can do also. God has added to that church one disciple at a time. Tillman, the people that, go, that he pastors in Chicago, have done what God has called them to do. God wants to do the same thing here. Believe me, he does. But we have to be open to it, don't we? We have to be willing to be used, don't we? You know, something that concerns me is that churches all over this country are closing. 
Last year, the church that actually started this church closed last September. Tri-City Church of Christ closed after 40-some years. You know, church leaders and church pastors are asking why churches are dying. Why, new, why are, there, are there no new members? Why are there no baptisms? They are trying to figure out how to get people to come in the door. Now, I'm not saying that Chester Christian Church is not a growing church. Good grief, if you go into children's area, you'll see that. And the new faces here, you'll see that. God has used this ministry this year to baptize people and bring disciples to Jesus. But I can only imagine how much more God can do if we are all available for God to use. I think the answer to bringing more disciples to Christ is not, do we as Christians go out of these... Hold on. I said this wrong, so let me back up and rewind. I think the answer to bringing more disciples to Christ is how do we as Christians go out of these doors and do what God is calling us to do with a life that is on mission. We have to ask ourselves that. We do. Now, when I printed this sermon, the last page came out blank. I left it that way. I didn't go back and fix it. This is the response page. You know, each of us has our own response, don't we? You know, if you're a Christian and you've been a Christian for a long time and you feel that things are just not right, you feel that God is not using you, I'd be happy to pray with you. I would be happy to pray with you. If you're not a Christian, this is the first time that you've ever walked in here, believe me, the guy that's usually here is a whole lot better on Sunday morning. So come back. But if you're here and you want to know more about Jesus, I'm a disciple. And I love to lead new disciples to Jesus. I would love to talk to you. I think one of the things that I've learned in life is that the more open I am to what God wants me to do, the more he will use me. And I believe each of us, if we begin to do that, then we will see the change in ourselves that that makes. Because I've learned more about teaching other people than I ever learned on my own. I've learned more in preparing sermons than I could ever learn on my own. Be active. Be willing. And be available for God to use you. You ready, Charlie? All right. I'll be down over here. If you will, and Anybody in the prayer team here? Come on up. We'll have people over here and over here. If you want prayer, they can pray with you. If you want to talk about Jesus Christ, I'll be happy to talk about him.
Just stand together. Let's see. You came down. 